But uh, always good to hear you sing. Take your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. It's a, a little bit busier day today. Um, second service, Bob's going to be telling us how we can pray for the team as they'll be leaving this week and um, how you can be involved in that as well. Colossians chapter 3. Let's, let's pick our reading up. Let's go back down to verse 9. Colossians 3, verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, so that indeed you are, which you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and whatever you do in word or deed. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as sincerity or with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it heartily, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Father, we ask your blessing upon our text today. We pray, Father, that you would give us ears to hear. Father, nothing new. Um, we, we have read these verses many times. We've seen them. We've applied them in some manner into our lives. And Father, I pray for the convicting power of your Spirit today upon all of us. Father, that you would continue to mold us into an image like, like your dear Son. Father, we'd be less like us and more like you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We began last week looking at this issue of preferring abstract to reality. Symbolic to real life. I made the comment that truth was known. We would like chapter 3 to end with verse 17 and pick up with chapter 4 verse 2. It's, it's what we call in the air. It's the, it's the theology of love and kindness and, and, and compassionate hearts and humility. And all that sounds good until we try to put it into action. As long as we're talking up here, yeah, we love, we're to love one another. We're to have compassionate hearts one another. We put on meekness and kindness and bind it all together with love. Yes, but what does that look like? What does it look like in that everyday life? I wrote a song, as long as the truth of the Scripture remains 
in the clouds and not on the earth, we escape most of the conviction and even repentance. Because there's no threat to me in verses 12 and 13 as long as these truths remain in the air, I said. Love is a feeling, compassionate hearts, kindness, meekness, patience. Even forbearing and forgiving can be a mystical truth. But the minute the writer turns to action from attitude, we find all sorts of excuses for not obeying the truth of the word. We find ways to justify ourselves and, and live in, in the sweet by and by rather than understanding that we live in the nasty now and now. I said about missions. We do this in several places, not just here, but it, like missions. Missions is a great idea. And we pray that the Lord of Harvest will send forth laborers as long as the laborers don't come from me or my family. I get to bask in the reports. I get to hear all the Lord's doing in Zimbabwe and cheer that on, and you should, and you get to participate, but it's different when it comes to the business of missions. I'm with you. I too am a husband. This coming July will be 40 years. This past um, Valentine's was the, the 40th Valentine's Day of us together, right? So, so I get it. And by the way, I wasn't showing off about the six dozen roses, okay? okay? That was evidently God's blessing upon me because I had no clue I had ordered them, all right? So I got to share them, but I got to take the credit like, okay, yeah, I, I did that. I did that on purpose. I don't know. And, and by the way, six dozen roses don't cost what you think they cost, okay? All right. If you want to know where you can get them cheap, let me know, and I can tell you where to find them cheap. They're beautiful, but they're still not cheap. We look at these things as taught rather than caught, or easier said than done, or easier to say I love you than to demonstrate that love. We mentioned that the world is tearing our families apart from everything from the LGBTQ to whatever other letters they want to put on that to extreme masculinity. But one of the greatest threats to our family is not in the world, but it's found in our own homes. Our own disobedience to the truth of the word. One of the greatest threats to my family is me. I, I have to be honest with you today in, in starting to deal with verses 20 and 21. Um, I found myself much like my father-in-law. My father-in-law used to tell the story of being in the Navy and he was in South Pacific and I don't know, stop somewhere over there. I don't know if it was in the Philippines or some other island. And went and had a meal together. I had a girl that he was seeing at the time and so I met her on shore and so they went and had this great meal together and it was, he said it was the best kebabs he'd ever eaten. In an Asian influenced areas. Alright, alright, got a few heads going. It won't cow. And it won't chicken. It was dog. And Melody's dad said, every little puppy I'd ever owned came flooding back in my mind. <laughs> but he said, man, it was great. Okay. I look, at, I look at that text and I talk about children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. We can do that easily, can't we? we? We like wearing the big pants. 
And we like being the boss. And we'll talk about that at some level, obey because I said to obey. I, I get that. But we can be heavy-handed with it, can't we? I did it this week. Found myself feeling... And, uh, and our people know this. I've got a son who's 30-something. 30 31 this year. And a daughter that's 19 going on 36. <laughs> and I found out boys are different than girls. If I had a nickel every time I spanked Lee, I'd be Bill Gates. If I had a nickel every time I spanked Ashley, I'd have a nickel. Maybe a dime. But it was a different personality. Uh, some people that develop the material called growing kids God's way and not everything in there is good, not everything in there is bad. But he gives the illustration of, of mopping the floor in the kitchen and telling your kids to stay off the kitchen floor. It's wet. And you got one kid that runs across, stands in the middle going, <laughs> and the other one walks up and hangs a toe over. Which one's guilty? They're both guilty. Okay. One's more subtle. Okay. I grew up in a family. My oldest brother's 16 years older than I am. My brother who passed away here a couple of years ago is 14 years older than I am. My sister Jane, seven. My sister Jane um, is is a uh, is a was a tomboy. That's what she grew up as. I mean, she she wanted to hang with the guys, and she broke her arm out of tree swings and all this kind of thing. And and but she was mouthy, and I got to sit back and take notes. <laughs> Don't don't do that, okay? Okay. But what I see in my own heart was where Jane would be the one who runs across the floor. I'm the one who hung my toe over the edge in equal rebellion. Each each kid's different, but the standard in which the Lord causes us to raise our children is the same. There is no in the in the application of this in their lives. There is no one size fits all. But there is one truth to be applied to their lives. And how it gets applied is, is the task that we're looking at today. And, and, the first, and obviously the first thing is talking about children. Obey your parents in everything in the Lord. Children, obey your parents. And before I get there, let me, let me remind us of where we've been. We talked about wives submitting to, the, to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, what pleases Him. This is God's design. This is not, a, it's not an issue of inferiority. It's not, a, it's not an issue of not being uh, heirs together of the grace of life, but it is God's design that in the home, the wives are submit to the leadership of their husbands. Secondly, husbands are to love your wives agapao, self-sacrificing love, and do not be harsh to them. Do not treat them that way. But here number three is children obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Children, techna, it's uh, any child living, still living in the home and under parental guidance. I'm going to give you several definitions. Any children who are a part of that household under the authority of their parents or still dependent on their parents for their daily and physical needs. My dad would say it this way, as long as your feet are under my table, you're going to do what I tell you to do. All right? okay. 
It's until they get out and establish their own independence of life. It's mentioned in Galatians chapter 4. I think it's Galatians. If you want to see it, Galatians 4, verses 1 and 2. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different than a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father in that culture. But there's obviously a time in which that child goes out from the parents and they... They live in, on their own. They're living independent lives. But notice not only the, the, the title, the child, but notice the call here. It's of obedience, the command. It means to listen, to attend to. It means to hearken. It is continual obedience. In other words, you obeyed, keep on obeying. You're under the parental authority. You listen to those directives and he does what he or she is told without complaint and without rebellion. Kids, that's the call upon your life. Well, this is not the first time this has been told, is it? Turn back to Ephesians chapter 6. We find it here again. Ephesians 6 verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is... Right. We could go back to Exodus 20, Exodus 21, Leviticus uh, chapter 20, Proverbs uh, chapter 1, and Proverbs chapter 6. I do want you to go to Proverbs chapter 30 with me. Proverbs chapter 30. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Proverbs chapter 30 tells us about a generation that's, that's coming, that's going to be here, that already is here. Beginning in verse 11, Proverbs 30, beginning in verse 11, there are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. There are those who are clean in their own eyes but are not washed by their, from their filth. There are those who have lo that how lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. There are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives, to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among mankind. The leech has two daughters, give and give. Three things are never satisfied, four never say enough. Sheol, the barren womb, the land never satisfied with water, the fire that, is, that never says enough. The eye, that eye that mocks his father and scorns to obey a mother will be plucked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. Now, there's a couple of texts in the Bible like that. So what does that mean? Well, I'm not sure I know exactly what that means, but it don't sound good, does it? <laughs> what it does tells us is how, how much responsibility God puts upon the child to obey their parents. This is the only command to the children, to obey their parents. Here in verse 17, following, we find them cursing their fathers. We find them pure in their own eyes. We find that they've got the answer to everything. Is that not the culture in which we live? But you don't, it's not just this culture, it was my culture too, right? Someone has said that when you're five years old, your daddy can beat up anybody. And you keep progressing until you get to be a teenager and your dad's the dumbest person walking on the face of the earth. And then you hit about 30 and you'd give anything to be able to talk to your dad again because you find out he's the most wisest person ever walked. Well, that's the reality, isn't it? In verse 15 there in, in Proverbs, he talks about these leeches. They have two daughters, give and give. Is that not what we see today? Is 
As long as mom and dad want to pay the bills, as long as mom, mom and dad want to do it, we're going to latch on and we're going to, we're going to take everything out of that that we can as teenagers if we're not careful. But God's, God's reward for that is the ravens come and they're eaten by vultures. That's what God sees about this generation. As I said, there's only one command given to children, just one, to obey your parents. You say, well, is that, is that such a big deal? It is, it is used in God's description of the wickedness of man. Turn to Romans chapter 1 with me. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I won't read all this beginning up at verse 18. See that? Check Romans 1 verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven and he gives this long list of the falling away of man. Even mentions homosexuality in it. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions for the women exchanged the natural relation for those that are contrary to nature and men likewise give up natural relations with women and are consumed with their passions with one another. Men committing shameless acts with men receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. Verse 28, And since they do not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Verse 29, They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, they're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Does that sound, does that sound a little off? I mean, he's, he's naming the worst of sins. I mean, he's, he's naming boasters and evil and, and uh, inventors of evil things and haughty and envying murder. And in that list, he lists disobedient parents. Verse 31, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. This is this generation. Paul's final book in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul mentions it there as well in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He talks about, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, slanderous, out of self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with deceit, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. But again in the list, back in verse... Two disobedient to parents. That's how God hates it. Kids, if, if you're living at home, your job is to obey your parents. Look back at our text. In what, Pastor? In everything. Now, you want me to tell you what that means in the Greek? <laughs> yes, that's what it means in the Greek. It means... In everything, is there are, are there any exceptions to that? As always, the two exceptions are one: if it violates God's direct commands. Remember Peter's response to obey God or or man. Secondly, 
if it's illegal. Well, I work for my dad, and he's told me that he wants me to fudge the book so that it appears better than it is. No. There's no command upon you to disobey earthly authorities either, or the authorities placed upon your life. Notice the reason, though, in our text. Obey in everything, for this pleases the Lord. The obedience of children is an appropriate behavior within the community that acknowledges Christ as their Lord. Now one question that comes up in this text is, does that apply to kids that are lost? Yes. Yeah, this is your home. This is your home. This is how this is to be conducted. Children are taught to obey. I was talking to some before the service. It's, it's interesting to see adults today and they wonder why their children turn out like they do. When I was uh, um, at Sugar Mountain, I was served as a security guard, and the biggest thing was to keep skis out of the lodge, believe it or not. And so one evening, it's, it's, it's getting late, the, the dining room area is closed, and there was no skis allowed in the lodge. You go around to the bottom, to the locker room area. Well, I look, well, as it is a lot, a lot of nights we would be there, the police department guys would come by to sit there and drink coffee with us. So little two steps down, then big old steps that go downstairs, and there's a bench right there, and a couple of the police officers, sheriff's department guy was there, the police department guy from, the, from Sugar Mountain was there, we're all sitting there talking, and I look up, coming across the dining room is this lady, and she's got poles and skis, and she's dragging them across the floor, and I say, ma'am, stop, you got to go back out, you can't bring those in here. Well, I am. No, no ma'am, you're not. You're not you're not allowed to go down these steps and it's for your it's for your safety that you don't go these steps. Well I'm gonna do it. So I backed up just far enough for her to step down the two steps and then she lays hold of the two police officers in there. Now she's stuck. Is she gonna to continue to make a fool out of herself? Or is she going to bow and go out? No, she chose the first one. She chose that she was going to make a fool out of herself, to which the police officer and the sheriff's department guy joined me at the top of the steps and said, you're not walking down these steps. But it was interesting, her statement. Rules are made to be broken. And I thought then, what do your kids look like? You know what we're saying, though? There's rules for you and not for me. Our kids catch a lot more than... They catch it more than they're taught it. They see mom and dad as they deal with others. Don't lie. Phone rings. Tell them I'm not here. What are you teaching your kids? Here we find the command is, for this pleases the Lord. This is... This is God's way. This is God's standard. Young people, the standard upon your life, what God calls you to, is obedience to your parents. As long as they are responsible for you, you're to live a life in obedience to what they say. I would encourage us, and I'll say a little bit more about this a little, a little bit later. There's a point at the start in which we teach them obedience. Just obey. But here's my question to you, parents. What's your end goal for that child? 
I've seen young people, when I was in Boone, I had churches that would call, the president of our youth group is now at Appalachian State, would you go by and check on them? Oh, I did. Stepping over the smoke of the marijuana coming out the door and the magazines spread all over the place. And I wondered, and again, I don't know the boy's heart, I don't know his parents, but is, is the goal to teach your kids just to obey while they're home? Or is it to teach them obedience to all authorities? That you're investing in them so that they make wise choices. Why do you not obey? Here, one of the issues that was raised in growing kids God's way was you see in a park, do not pick the flowers. Why? I mean, the flower's pretty. I mean, God made it. Can I pick the flower? What's the reason? Well, one of the reasons is the person coming behind me. The person coming behind me is as important, if not more important, than I am. So I leave the flower there because I'm thinking more about the person coming behind me so that they can, they can uh, adore the beauty, they can see the beauty, they can thank God for the beauty, and I leave it. That's one of the reasons I leave it. Mom and dads, have you ever thought about when you get your kids to a certain age, and I'm not about to add age to it, that you move them not just from obedience, but why you're asking them to do what you do. That you're instilling in them the ability to think on their own. That you're instilling in them how to make wise choices. That you're instilling in them that there's people that are more important than you are. That you're living a life that reflects the, the character and the quality of God and you're training them to walk in fullness of the Lord's truth. But the call upon your life is submission. Living it out. It's living out chapter 3 verse 17, isn't it? Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all and everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to Him. How do kids do that? Obeying your parents in everything. The child that obeys acknowledges that chain of command. But there's another relationship in this, isn't there? Look at verse 21. Here's another one though. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now hang on. <laughs> you, you want me to raise them up in the nurture and admission board to walk in obedience to the Lord's word while we're in my home. Isn't the standard enough to frustrate them? Is, isn't that enough, especially when you've got a child that's self-centered and selfish like all kids are, isn't that enough to, to already cause frustration in their hearts? Well, look at verse 21. Fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The word for fathers there, it, it can mean fathers, but if you'll go with me real quick to, to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 23, you'll find the same word here translated parents in, in our translation. In Hebrews 11 verse 23, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Question to verse 21 here, is this just the fathers? In other words, kids don't have to obey their moms? No. It's parents. It's both. Both are to be obeyed. Parents are to be 
obeyed. But it says, do not provoke your children. To stir up, to exasperate, to provoke, to irritate, to arouse, to anger, to incite. Now the word can be positive. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 2, Paul's talking about the offering that was taken up for him. And it says, and it stirred up the other churches to become a part of it. There's a, that's a good stirring up. But here, most of the time, it's, it's translated strife. Stop provoking your children lest they become discouraged. Let me give you another definition. That they lose heart. That they are disheartened. That they are despondent. One of the commentaries says, Stop nagging your kids. And kids, I don't need to hear you say amen. Right? One writer says, The apostle does not state just how it is a father can produce the provocation in his children. Common sense tells us that it would be uh, through overtly strict control of the child, elevated expectations that are not appropriate to the child's age, unjust rules and responsibilities laid upon the child, comparisons to other siblings, abuse of any kind, severe or unjust discipline, the lack of fatherly love and nurturing. Surely there are many others, and we're going to talk about some of those. Children easily feel they cannot please their fathers, their parents, I would say. Quickly try, giving up trying choosing rather to be silent but bitterly conformed to an expectation counting the days or years until they're free from his tyranny and above so that they can have open rebellion one writer says fathers do not embitter your children I'll share this with Bradley and others this writer says, During my college years, I worked at, for a store which had a large part of a trade of the rodeo cowboys in Southern California. I learned that there are at least two ways to break a horse. One is with progressive use of halter and bit and blanket and saddle. Done correctly, this can produce a full-spirited, obedient horse. But another way is sometimes used with especially difficult horses. The method is simple. The wrangler simply takes a two-by-four and knocks the horse to its knees. A horse, it says, can be tamed this way, but with great cost. You will have a spiritless animal, an animal that, though obedient, will never be what it could have done. And there are children who are like this. Their spirits have been broken. They're obedient, but something's missing. They have to, to use Paul's words, they, they lose heart, they withdraw, they, they, they keep it all, all of it inside, or they rebel when they get big enough, and the results are painful either way, end quote. Lest they lose heart. The word here used could be translated wrath and it's an emotional side of putting off in chapter 3 verse 18 it says putting away all anger and wrath there it is again it means to take the heart out of the child by failing to discipline them lovingly and instruct them in the ways of the Lord with balance as I said the very problem though is the very standard in which we're raising them to is enough to frustrate them already 
But I want to give you some ways today as we as we finish this up. I was telling Stephen, I can either do two verses or four, and if we do four, we'll be here till the afternoon. So we're going to do two, cut it back a little bit, give Bob a little more time. But I, I, I want to ask the question, how can we disharden our children? How, how can we cause them to lose heart, to discourage, to be sullen, to be despairing, to be despondent? I have no less than ten commentaries on Colossians. Bob always laughs when he comes over. How do you, how do you read all those? Well, I don't. They just look good sitting on my desk. No, no. But some, some of them are, 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 are words. I mean, they give me definitions and help me trace things. So they're not all commentaries, but... I took all, all ten, and uh, I would say eight of them dealt with this specifically. And so I put a list together that you could find probably in all ten of those in some manner or form. And I, I throw them out today as suggestions. I don't bind any parent's conscience today. It's not my God, job. But I am asking the question, It is possible. is it possible to provoke your children to discouragement? Yes. Otherwise the verse doesn't mean anything, right? Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged, disheartened. How do we discourage our kids? Now, as I mentioned to you, I want to acknowledge at the beginning, children are different. I only have two, and that was two enough. Okay? They're completely different. Lee is completely different than Ashley. But the standard's the same. Lee said one time, he dreaded, he hated saying it later. I, I tried to move Lee from explaining why too early. So I was talking to him a lot more, and he finally looked at me and says, Talk less and spank more. <laughs> Ashley would have said the exact opposite. Talk to me more. Okay, you can, Chris. And you know, kids like that, all you got to do is raise your voice a little bit, and it's just they melt. Well, that's the difference. But I, I want to I want to throw out I just want to throw out some some thoughts to you parents especially how can we discourage our kids and for those that are teenagers that are sitting here this may be a platform for you to talk to your mom and dad understanding the call upon your life is obedience period how it's done can be discouraging to some number one and again I could give you all ten of these commentaries they all say the same thing so I'm just going to just take them in order number one. We can discourage our kids by being overprotective. In other words, we develop them with no trust, all rules, all depriving them of something, no liberty, nothing that they, nothing that they can do can earn the parents' trust. Their life is detail-oriented from the time they get up till the time they go to bed. We provide rules and guidelines, yes, as a safety net, but not as a noose to strangle. Do you communicate to your kids at an appropriate age? Now, when they're two, three years old, okay, it's obedience. 
Okay, you're not going. You're going. You're not going to. You're not going to uh, plead and plead your case with a two-year-old. Okay? okay, they need to. They need to understand obedience from day one. But at some time in their life, they need to be moved to communicating with your children that you trust them at some level. I've dealt with kids like this when I was a youth pastor. My mom and dad won't let me do anything. And it created a frustration in their life. I don't know where that line is. I'm not saying I do know where it is in your life. But it is possible to be overprotective. Now, I told you, i got a 19-year-old now. If you hear that pastor goes to Greenville and he gets arrested for <laughs> something, okay? Y'all pray for me. I'm struggling, okay? I knew the boys were going to start sniffing around. I just didn't expect them in the first three months, okay? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, duh, where were you? Okay. And you were expecting what? Okay, yeah. Yeah. But I had to instill in her that at some level I do trust her. I can't make the choices. I can't, I can't make some of those. I have to trust her that she's going to make wise choices. And there'll be times that she won't. Did you make all wise choices? Okay, alright. Give your kids the same benefit you had. You, you messed up. One dewy morning when I went into high school my dad retired and so he was home all day he got to retire when he was 56 and so my mom still taught and we had three cars at home I had a my dad had his his uh, uh, 1971 Ford LTD that he could eat off of it 429 four barrel this thing would fly he loved that car we had a 1956 Ford something belonged to my grandfather who only had one arm it was his dad's car that thing was a tank. And then, somehow I ended up with a 1971 Fiat Spire. It's a little bit smaller than this pulpit. <laughs> and on this morning, I'm getting ready to go to school, and my dad had backed the LTD up to let my mom out, and he had parked enough distance behind me to allow me to gain speed. So I was late... He was already saying, son, you're late. And in my home, if you're not 10 minutes early, you're late. Okay. I jumped in the car. I cranked that thing up. I put it in reverse. I popped the clutch. Yeah. About from here to that wall. Just far enough to gain speed. And I came to a screeching halt. I plowed in front of Dad's car. Little bumpers on the car, my little car, were out like this, like wings. Front grill, have you ever seen a 71 Ford LT? It's got a big, nice grill in the front. It was all done. Well, I'm not going to live to be 18. <laughs> My dad came out. And you know what he said? You're going to be late for school, son. That was the worst day in school ever in my life. And when I came home, my dad had the bumper off of that car and straightened it all back out. 
He'd already been to town, bought that little grill that goes in the front, was put it in, got all back together. Done. My mom said, Did you kill him? He said, He said, No. The damage he did was punishment enough. Sometimes, it's interesting, isn't it, how God puts teeth in our decisions and the decisions we make is a punishment enough. Okay? But we can be overprotective. Number two, we can show favoritism. You want a biblical example of this? Turn to, we won't do it, but you can. Genesis 27, can't you? Jacob and Esau. Comparing kids and siblings or even classmates. Why aren't you more like? My brother, oldest brother, as I said, 16 years older than I am, graduated high school with a 98.6 grade point average. I just graduated with a grade point average. <laughs> but I had some of his same teachers. And my mom caught one of my teachers saying, why can't you be more like your brother? To which my mom flew into that teacher to say, because God made him different. Be careful with favoritism. Number three, a lack of importance. Kids that feel like they're just in the way. They're not important. They don't get listened to. I was reminded, and I see, it, I see it more with my daughter than I do with my son, that there are times in which we call it the window of their heart gets opened and they'll start to share. You better be careful how you enter. Because it will be determined whether you let back in that window again or not. You need to let them struggle. You, let them, you need to let them tell you they're struggling and encourage them in that. But you need to let them know that they are important. They are fearfully and wonderfully what? Made, yeah. And if you believe in the sovereignty of God, who placed that child in your home? God did. And with us, even more so. You think that of all the kids in the world that God could have singled out to place in my home, be careful. They don't feel important. They'll become shy and discouraged and withdrawn. My niece, my sister's daughter, they have six kids. One of them is autistic, off the chart on autism. They take him to Carolina and the doctor at Carolina who that's all he works with he said I don't have another child even close to autism this child. And inside that home are five other kids. And you can imagine all of all of Christie's time can be easily taken up with this one child. Okay. She has to work at making sure her other children feel as important in their life as this child is. This child's never going to leave. Josiah will never leave their side. Favoritism. Or a lack of importance. Number four, discouragement. In other words, we, we don't ever reward them for anything. No, no matter what they do, it's never enough. You remember those 
pictures that we did in Sunday school and you did your best to stay in the lines, you know, but you swear outside the lines. Let them color outside lines. It's okay. What difference does it make? Stop trying to make them into something that they're not. A man that went to Melody's dad's church up in the mountains and he tried out for the Dallas Cowboys. Didn't make it, but went on to dental school. But he determined that his son was going to make the Dallas Cowboys. By the time he was in eighth grade, he had already hired him a personal trainer. And he was already doing weights and already working out. And he, 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 he did inherit his dad's size, and so he's pretty good size. Only to find out when the son was in a junior in high school, he looked at his dad and finally says, I hate it. And his dad finally looked at him and said, you know what? God didn't call him to be a football player. I did. He said, I've squashed him. Number five. You can frustrate your kids by not showing love to them. Now, I don't know how much huggy or kissy you are in your family, but in ours, we hug everybody. I was taught, you say it. I've, I've been to funerals where I'd give anything to hear my dad. I like to tell my dad I loved him. That When my dad died, that was not in any of the lips of the kids. Well, they don't like slobber. Tough. You're my kid. Okay? I'm going to kiss you on the head. Okay? I'm going to hug you. I'm going to hold you. And again, I got, I got two that both of them despise snuggles. Okay? Ashley endures it. Lee, not so much. Okay? But, but communicate your love to them. Physically. Verbally. I, my dad's word, and you've heard me say it, I love you more than I said it did. I left to go on a mission trip in February 1995. Never saw my dad again. And I'll never forget when I stopped by the house, hug him, last words out of his mouth was, love you son more than I said it did. Your kids know that? Number six. Again, some of these don't you think they'd be common sense, but they are. Provide for them. My next statement is not dealing with financially where you can handle something like that. That's not my point. But I, I know parents that they buy brand new stuff, but the kids get hand-me-downs. That's all they get. Now, again... I know this family and it's not an economic issue. It's, I deserve better than you deserve. I came, from, I came from a home that my dad sacrificed for his kids. Loved his kids, provided for his kids. I can remember the first pair of new shoes I got. My dad went to help me pick them out. I hope you don't have to say it, but feed them. Feed them good. Yeah. Again, other people are different, but when, when my dad, and it wasn't that often we'd have steak at home, he didn't give the kids 
tube steak. If my dad and mom are eating steak, guess what we got to eat? We got to eat steak. We eat hot dogs. We all ate hot dogs. But we didn't. he didn't prepare different meals for different people. And when we had people over, we were all there. You're coming to eat with the Johnsons? You're eating with all of us. Provide for them. Number seven, a lack of standards. I had a teenage girl look at me when I was a youth pastor and say this, and I quote, I'll never forget it. I wish my dad loved me enough to tell me no. My dad doesn't care whether I go out at night. My dad doesn't care whether I jump out the window at night. My dad doesn't care. I wish he loved me enough just to tell me no. Did you know standards do that? We, yes, it's the opposite of overprotection, but we are called to discipline, aren't we? Okay? And by the way, can I, can I tell you something? Discipline, by its name, is designed to hurt. Not, it doesn't have to be physical all the time, but if it's not inflicting pain at some level, it's not discipline. You can call it something else, but if we are called to discipline our children, it's got to be an element of, of pain to it. As children grow up, there's more ways to inflict pain upon them than a spanking. But I remind you of Hebrews 12, verses 6 and 7, for whom the Lord loves, He what? Chastens, He scourges. That's severe pain. Prisons are meant to punish. A person's not in prison because they need to be rehabilitated. They're there because they've committed a crime. Okay? My dad, as we got older, my dad, for, for spanking, which I got plenty, but there was plenty that I should have gotten spankings for, so no, no, no keeping scores, but He'd always make sure I understood why. And it was never more than three licks. That's him. And I'm not telling you yes, no. I'm just telling you for me, that's it. And we were allowed about one minute to cry. And then those dreaded words dried up. I hated it. Okay? <laughs> Find your best. My last thing my dad would always do is hug me and say, I love you, son. I love you enough to discipline you. Developing in your child to make wise choices to understand the consequences of their sins. Number eight. Again, throwing out criticism. Yes, constructive criticism is always good. Need to, you need to have that. Be able to talk to them. Yeah, we can do better. We can, we can, we can turn that better. We can, we can turn out better. Can, can we do it? But always, always encouraging. Even in criticism, we never want to, to relay upon them that it's never good enough. That you'll never measure up. Number nine, neglect. 
if I had to turn to a biblical example of that, it would be to David and Absalom. David neglected his son. And Absalom tried to kill his dad. That's how bad it got. Your kids are in your home because God placed them there. Do not neglect them. Listen, I, I heard this a long time ago. It's done more in my life to remind me. For my wife and my children, I am preparing them for judgment. You think about that. And number 10, excessive discipline. It can go too far. There's no place for the abusing of children, physical or verbally. And never, ever, ever discipline in anger. Never. You might need to walk away. You, you might need to walk away to pray, Lord, please, I, I, this has got to be handled, but I can't handle it like this. I need to make sure that I'm calm and I'm going to talk to my, my son, my daughter, but never, ever discipline in anger and always correct in loving correction. Children, obey. In what? In everything. This is God's design. Fathers, don't discourage your kids. Don't provoke your children lest they become disheartened. I don't know if you've ever seen that in a kid's life. I've seen it. And the light's gone. There's nobody there. They're just, they're just going along, but there's no life in them. Now, that can be because of sin. It can be because of things. But I, I want you to are you discouraging them? Are you dishardening them? Father, we thank you for the simplicity of this. Nothing that we don't already know, haven't already experienced. Father, we, we, we often look at these texts as women submit, husbands love, children obey. Fathers, don't provoke your children to rest. And the Lord is screaming in all of them. Father, help our young people to know what it means to obey from the heart. So they know that this is God's standard for them. Father, help us as parents to invest in our kids. That we're not discouraging them we're encouraging them in their walk with the Lord. We want to see them saved. We want to see them, their lives dedicated to you. We want to see them walking with you. And we only have them for a short time. Now, Father, how this applies in people's lives, I, I have no idea. I know what you did in my heart this week. Father, I pray for parents as they examine, as they stop to think, and if the children are old enough to be able to involve in conversation about this, what does this look like? It's a great day when a parent can sit down with their teenage kid and say, am I discouraging you? Did I hurt you? Father, I pray that you'd raise up a generation in, in our church, in our homes,
to which Satan is attacking at all points today. Father, we would raise up a godly generation that will love you and serve you and honor you, but Father, that we are raising them not to discourage them, but to Father, to see them used for kingdom purposes. Father, we only have them for a while. May we invest in them to see them as instruments in the hand of the Master. Father, we'll thank you for all that you're going to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.